Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Scripture, a podcast where we illustrate relevance and application of the scriptures in Come Follow Me. We also dive into the history and cultures of the text. Thanks for taking the time to share and subscribe to this podcast. For show notes, head over to our website, TalkingScripture.org. Welcome to Talking Scripture. I'm Mike. And I'm Bryce. And today we are going to be talking about the book of Revelation. Capital T, the. <laughs> yeah, the Revelation, right. Uh, Bryce, we're probably going to do a couple podcasts on this. Is that fair to say? I would hope we do multiple. There's just so much to digest here. We're just going to produce a lot here and just let you digest what you want to digest. So today we are doing a, an overview yeah. of okay, if I had just a short time to teach, what is the book talking about? What is this about? I think today is a good overview. Overall, I'll I'll just start briefly and just say this is an apocalyptic text. And what does that mean? Apocalyptic texts were writings that were highly symbolic. They were dualistic, meaning it was good guys versus bad guys, light versus dark. These texts uh, involved a lot of times fantastic beasts, and it also covered a time. And it had a message. Usually the message of these apocalyptic texts were a message of hope. A classic example besides the book of Revelation is the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And so with that brief introduction, Bryce, why don't you jump in and talk to us about why this is important and how a Latter-day Saint audience can really uh, get their hands around this book. Great. Thanks, Mike. Before I jump into you know a brief overview, let me give Latter-day Saints a compelling reason to study the book of Revelation. I remind you that Nephi was shown a tremendous vision of the future. He saw, I'm going to refer to 1 Nephi chapter 13. In verse 12, he saw what we believe clearly is Christopher Columbus parting the sea, coming to America. In verse 13, he sees other pilgrims coming to America. Verse 17, he sees the Revolutionary War. He sees that the Lord was with the colonists. And then he starts pointing out the religious aspect of this, that the colonists had a book, which clearly is the Bible. And the angel says, this is the Bible. It contains many of the prophecies, but not as many as the brass plates that you have, Nephi. And then the angel explains to Nephi that when the book was first written, when the Bible was first produced by the Jews, it contained the fullness of the gospel. All of this is in 1 Nephi chapter 13. But then Nephi sees the formation of a great and abominable church, which strips the Bible of many plain and precious things. We believe that during the apostasy, many plain and precious things were taken out of the Bible. And according to the angel in 1 Nephi 13, many people stumble because of the loss of the plain and precious truths. And then Nephi sees that the Lord's solution is to speak to the Nephites and to produce the Book of Mormon. And then First Nephi chapter 13, verse 40, the Book of Mormon comes forth and restores the plain and precious parts that were removed by the great and abominable church. Not a one-for-one restoration, but the doctrines are taught, the truths are restored. So then this whole vision continues in chapter 14, and part of that, Nephi all of a sudden sees a man in white. And the angel says, now I'm reading from 1 Nephi chapter 14, starting in verse 18, look, and I beheld a man, he was dressed in a white robe. Verse 20, that's one of the 12 apostles, that's one of the 12 of the Lamb. Now he's going to tell us in verse 27 that it's John, John the Revelator. Nephi sees John. Verse 21, he shall see and write the remainder of these things. Notice it's the remainder of. So the book of Revelation is a continuation of Nephi's vision. 
And then I'm going to make two points here. The first point, I'm going to skip ahead. End of verse 24. Nephi, you will see the remainder. I'm going to let you see it. Verse 25. But the things which thou shalt see hereafter, thou shalt not write. Why? For the Lord God hath ordained the apostle of the Lamb of God that he should write this vision. The Lord could have had Nephi write it, and it would have been plain and clear and written in Nephi's style. But clearly the Lord wants us to have the book of Revelation. That's the one. The Lord hath ordained, which means God wants us to have John's version. But... I think we need to apply what he's trying to teach here. Back in verse 23, when John writes the revelation, it shall be written in the book, which thou, I'm reading from 23 again, which thou beheld proceeding out of the mouth of the Jew. And at the time that they proceeded out of the mouth of the Jew. So when John first wrote his revelation, notice the last part of verse 23. The book of Revelation was plain, pure, most precious. And Mike, what's that last word? Easy. What, what, one more time. What was that last word? Easy to understand. The angel says it was easy to the understanding of, what's that next word? Of all men. All men. When John first had a revelation, it was easy to the understanding of all men. So if it's not easy today, we assume it's because it's lost plain and precious, or at least the Bible as a whole has lost plain and precious things, doctrines, truths, uh, similes, metaphors. All those things you're saying, I, I like that. And maybe part of it is the Bible maybe hasn't lost it. Maybe we have. Great in, insight. In other words, like culturally, we read it differently than if we lived in 70 AD. Our culture has changed. Now, I think that's part of the apostasy. Even the meanings of simple words like faith and grace, those meanings have changed. And so I don't think we read it the same. Words matter. Right. And, and what they mean matter. Which is interesting. If we tie First Nephi 14.23 to First Nephi 13.40... So when the Bible was first written in John's day, it was easy to the understanding of all men. And then in verse 40 of the previous chapter, the modern day revelation comes forward. And what's the first thing it does? Yeah, it's going to establish the truth. So, That's an interesting yeah, prophecy. Right. It will establish the truth of the first, meaning the modern-day revelation will establish the truth of the first. And I don't think that was a big deal in 1829. But since you know we have this new reading of the Bible from Wellhausen in, 18, in the 1870s and 1880s and German scholarship— I think a lot of Christians today are reading the Bible differently, and we're not taking it as literal. And then there's the historical Jesus movement of 40 years ago, where they say, hey, maybe Jesus wasn't you know, what the scriptures say he is. The Book of Mormon's coming out, Bryce, and saying, no, that there is a Jesus, and he did rise. And the Book of Mormon testifies of that. And then notice the next prophecy. First, the Book of Mormon and the last records, the Book of Mormon and modern revelation will establish the truth of the first, and then... It shall make known the plain and precious things which have been taken away from them. What verse is that? This is 40 again, 1340. So the modern revelation will make known the plain and precious things that have been taken away and shall make known to all kindreds, tongues, and people that the Lamb of God is the Son of the Eternal Father. So of all the plain and precious things that are restored in modern revelation, Jesus and his role, especially as his role when he comes again, have been restored. 
So I believe Latter-day Saints need to look at this in two things. Number one, we need to understand that John's version is the one the Lord wants us to have. We have a tendency to sometimes set the Bible aside and just say, I'm going to stick with modern revelation. But clearly, the Lord has appointed John's version to be the one that we study, to prepare us for the second coming. But we are to add to John's record all of the things we learn in modern Revelation. The only way you unlock the book of Revelation and make it easy again is if you pull in everything that we've learned in modern days through the restoration of the truth. So, we have tools to understand the book of Revelation. Now, let me give you an example. Book of Revelation talks about a mark in the forehead. Is there anywhere in the Book of Mormon that mentions a mark in the forehead that might shed some light on what that symbol meant? Oh my goodness, yes, the Amalekites marked themselves in the forehead. So we ought to connect that. We ought to connect those pieces and say, I get what the Lord's trying to say with the mark in the forehead with the beast in Revelation 13. So that's what we're going to do in the next couple of podcasts. As we go chapter by chapter, we're going to say, okay, God has given us a commission to study this version. He could have had Nephi, but he didn't. And that we have the tools restored again in our day to make this book plain and precious and easy to the understanding of all men. I like so that. So that's what we're going to do. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 4 and 5. The Revelation, so we have a chapter 1 that kind of is a teaser that talks a little bit about symbols and some general symbols, and then chapters 2 and 3 are letters to the different churches, which we'll talk about. Chapter 4 kind of begins what we believe is the real heart and soul of the Revelation. John is taken up into heaven and learns some things about Heavenly Father. He goes into Heavenly Father's house and looks around and learns some wonderful truths about Heavenly Father in his house, which we'll talk about. But then in chapter 5, he sees in the right hand of the Father a book, and it's sealed with seven seals. Now, luckily, one of the great gifts of modern revelation in restoring plain and precious parts is section 77. Doctrine and Covenant section 7, Joseph Smith was allowed to ask a whole bunch of questions and get very specific answers on questions about the book of Revelation. So turn with me to section 77, verse 6. What is the book? What are we to understand by the book which John saw? Now, let me just go big picture here. God has a book in his right hand. And what's in it? Verse 6, answer. We are to understand that it contains the revealed will, the mysteries, the works of God, the hidden things of his economy concerning this earth during the 7,000 years of its continuance or its temporal existence. In other words, all of the answers are in that book why God did what he did, the story he wrote. And I'm going to make the assumption, Mike, that every one of us have a chapter in that book, that there's a chapter in that book that says Bryce Dunford, and that book, that chapter is my story and why God did what he did. Why was I born when I was born? Why the family I received? Why did why my brother's death? Why all the challenges that I faced? That is my story. And I trust that Heavenly Father has it written. And someday I'll get to read that story. And you'll get to read your story. And everyone will be able to see. I just, I think when we finally open up that book, the sound you're going to hear throughout all the earth is going to be, oh, and people will understand God's story. 
and why he did what he did. But whose story is the book of Revelation? Whose story is this? Of all the stories that we're telling, whose story is this? Notice verse 6, it is the story of the earth. We're going to tell the earth story from beginning to end. Now, at the beginning, we're going to go really quickly and tell about all the wickedness and the destruction and the disease and everything that was on the earth and how earth has had to suffer and deal with that. But someday, this earth will be cleansed. So this book is about the cleansing of the earth. Now, going back to Revelation chapter 4, what is she going to become? Notice what John sees in the celestial kingdom. Are you looking at 4-6? Yep. What does it say, Mike? So it says that it will become like a sea of glass. At least that's what he sees the throne on. Section 130, the Doctrine and Covenants, is where the Joseph asks the Lord, what is this sea of glass? And the Lord essentially says that it will become, uh, this earth will become sanctified and celestialized. And so a, a sea of glass and fire, section 130, the Doctrine and Covenants, likens that into a great Urim and Thummim. I want to talk just briefly about this sea of glass. The sea to the ancients represented chaos. It represented mortality. And so a sea of glass in one way, and I think this is Bryce, big picture revelation stuff, is the chaos is conquered. The chaos in your life is over. There is no more death. There are no more tears of mortality and if you think about this beautiful in the Gospels, Jesus literally walks on the water. It's the ultimate Jewish symbol for Yahweh is here and the chaos is conquered. I have overcome the world. And so that's the story we're telling. This earth, the chaos of this earth, the destruction of the earth, the plagues, the destruction, the pain is going to end. And the earth is going to change. Now, the earth is going to become a Urim and Thummim. And those words mean lights and perfections, meaning the earth is going to be filled with light. So a lot of people say, well, the earth is going to end in a blazing ball of fire that chars it and leaves it burnt. No, the earth is going to end in a blazing ball of fire that purifies it and crystallizes it and fills it with light and perfections. So the question on the table is at the end of chapter 6. Go to Revelation chapter 6. The question that the book of Revelation is going to answer is... Who shall be able to stand? When the destruction, when the change is over, when the earth has been purified and becomes a sea of glass, who will be left standing? Now, turn to Revelation chapter 19. What will we do if we're left standing? Revelation chapter 19 is when Jesus comes and they call everyone for what? What, is, what are we going to do, Mike? It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's uh, Revelation 19.9. And by the way, uh, listeners, read section 27 of the Doctrine and Covenants. It's the same stuff. We're talking about it's a feast with God. And I really believe this, Bryce. I think we're practicing for this every week. Every I think what week. we're doing is we're getting ready for this. Yeah, because the Revelation or DNC 27, the Lord says, I'm going to eat the sacrament with you again on the earth. That's the marriage feast. When the earth is purified and becomes full of light and perfections, he will come and we will feast with him and all of that. And then Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. I know this is a little bit further beyond the millennium, but Revelation chapter 21, 4, God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. There'll be no more pain because that was the old earth. 
No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. So if you will change with the earth and be with Christ and feast at that feast, then all of our pains will go away and he will wipe away all our tears and we will overcome the chaos of the earth. This is just drenched with Jesus. It is. It's everywhere. And it's every book of scripture coming together. It's it's like the greatest hits of everything combined into one everything thing. Everything is going to come. That's why John wrote it. To a Jew that lived in the first century, BC or AD doesn't matter. They get this because in the fall, they had the fall festival where they ate before God. And in the first temple, you would eat before God, the Feast of Tabernacles, and the king would be enthroned. And it was symbolic of Yahweh coming to claim his people were being brought back into his presence. And so it's all temple. This whole thing is temple. The chaos is over. Jesus has taken us home, and it's a feast. The millennium is that feast. Not yeah. only the millennium literally, but the millennium symbolically. Yeah. When Jesus comes into our life, he calms the storm and all of that. So the whole book of Revelation is how to make it through the changing of the earth and be with Christ when he comes. Now, we're going to go back. We'll go chapter by chapter. We're going to digest each chapter and talk about each chapter's input on that lesson. What do I need to do? So let me take you back to chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1. The whole point of reading this book is so that we do something, that we keep the commandments. Now, there is a JST change in Revelation chapter 1, you may want to pull that one up because it's a significant JST change. So I'm in the JST, Revelation 1, verse 3. Blessed are they who read and hear and understand the words of this prophecy. And next word, keep. The whole point of studying the book of Revelation, it's not an outline of things to come. It's not a timeline. It's a warning. The earth is going to change. It's going from a celestial earth to a terrestrial earth. And if you don't at least make that change, you've got to be destroyed with it. But if you do make the change, then you can feast with Christ at the wedding feast. So read the book, hear it, understand it, and keep it. I got to add one thing. I really believe this. I think you can see it. I think the book of Revelation is a right brain text, and it's totally okay to get out a piece of paper, and you get to Revelation 12 and 13, draw this stuff. Draw I think it. it's definitely a right-brained Eastern type of text. Yep. And so many times we're going to say, let's look at that image, see the image. Why is Satan a seven-headed dragon? Why is he a seven-headed red dragon? Let's see the image. So just to kind of whet your appetite a little bit for where we're going— the book of Revelation is all about parallel images. There's almost always two copies of everything, and one's a good and one's a bad. So, for example, back in Revelation chapter 1, Jesus holds his stars in his right hand. Well, what does Satan do with his stars in Revelation 12? He casts, he them, casts down. them down. Yeah. 
You know, there's always a parallel. Jesus holds his stars. Jesus's stars are constant. And Satan's stars are like falling stars, which are beautiful for a moment, but you certainly can't guide your life by them. We'll talk more about that when we do Revelation 1. But watch always for the parallel images. A sword comes out of the Savior's mouth. Frogs come out of Satan's mouth. Always watch for the parallel images. But one of the star characters, one of the main characters of the book of Revelation is two women. The first one we read, we read about in chapter 12, the bride, the one that Jesus is coming to marry. You know the parable of the ten virgins and he's the bridegroom? Well, here's the bride. The bride is the church. The bride is his church. And she is clothed in the sun, standing on the moon, wearing the stars on her head. Now, those of you who love the Salt Lake Temple or the Nauvoo Temple, you'll notice it has sun, moon, and stars on the outside, but they're in the wrong order. The stars are at the top, and then the sun, and then the moon. A lot of people think that that's limited to celestial, terrestrial, and telestial. If that's the case, why are the stars at the top? Look at the Nauvoo Temple. The stars are at the top then the sun, and then the moon at the bottom. But all of that is a reference to this woman who is clothed in the sun, standing on the moon, wearing stars on her head. The church is the bride that he's coming to marry. And every single week, the church hands you a cup with wine in it, the wine of the covenant, the wine of the renewal, the wine of the atonement. And Jesus hands you a cup and you drink that wine at the sacrament table, and you covenant to be with him. Bryce, I got to come to your ward. I got to find this wine of which you speak. <laughs> and then we get the he, he means water. Go on, Bryce. <laughs> we as a church have replaced the wine, but it should be wine, yeah, right? right, right? The right. Lord used wine, and he will use wine because it's red and like blood, and it's sweet. Yeah, but we're going with water right now. But we're in the church carry today, on. we use wine. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then the second woman is Revelation chapter 17, and she's the great harlot of the earth, the whore, all of the false churches, all of the false religions out there. And she has in her hand a cup, and it's full of wine. But her wine is intoxicating. One of the great traps of the latter days is to be trapped by the intoxicating false wine and be pulled away from the true wine of the true bride. And these wines are lots of things. They're philosophies and ideas and natural man temptations. But there's the imitation. And there's this one of the great stories of the latter days is, are you fooled by the imitation? Are you fooled by the intoxicating wine of the great and abominable church, the whore of all the earth? Or will you make covenants in the bride's home, in the bride's church with her wine? And by the way, this is why this book has perpetual relevance. Whether you live in John's day or Joseph Smith's day or today, every one of us has to make a choice. Faith in Christ means I choose something. We'll get into the weeds, Bryce, where we talk about, oh, is this Rome? What is this? Or what does this symbol mean? To me, the big picture is what matters because that's why it's relevant then and why it's relevant today. Right. How many times in modern revelation do we talk about not being fooled by an imitation? We've got the tree of life and then the false tree of life, which is the building. 
And are you fooled by an imitation? And so to help us not be fooled by an imitation, the Lord gives us the rod, which will lead us to the tree. And so we have all these modern day helps that talk about how to avoid the imitation. But there are so many people today who are being fooled by an imitation. In Revelation chapter 18, it talks about a cage full of birds. And that's what she's doing. That's what this woman is doing. She's trying to trap us into a cage full of birds. And I often think about Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, where the child catcher dresses up a cage like an ice cream store, and he lulls the children out of hiding, and he, he convinces them to go into. And I just think that's what's happening in our day. So many Latter-day Saints are fooled by an imitation and they're walking into a trap and they're going to be in the cage full of hateful birds if they're not careful, if they don't recognize the trap and stay away from the imitation. So the whole book of Revelation is very applicable to every day, but especially our day as we prepare for his coming. So if I'm hearing you right, everything, there's twos of everything, it seems like. In an apocalyptic scholarship, John Collins writes about this that these texts are dualistic. It's light versus darkness. Zion versus Babylon. Perfect. And so many of these apocalyptic texts did not make it into our Bible. I'm just going to briefly run through a list of some of them. Early Christians read two texts. One's called the Apocalypse of Peter. The other one's called the Shepherd of Hermas. Writings that were highly symbolic. They were dualistic, meaning it was good guys versus bad guys, light versus dark. And these texts, their purpose is to enable hope, to extend to the Christians an olive branch and and essentially say, I know it's hard, but we're going to make it home. And like I said, and like Bryce said, they're highly symbolic. Uh, There's a bunch of these in Jewish literature, 1st Enoch, 4th Ezra, 2nd Baruch. These texts are apocalyptic texts. They discuss these things, and, and they're, like I said, highly dualistic. So I like that, Bryce, where you say, okay, big picture, there's two women. There's two different things coming out of the mouth of either the deity or the adversary. There's uh, tools. Uh, the, the, the Lord has his stars that are going to come to earth and, and hold up the light. Sometimes they're called candlesticks. They have different meanings. And the adversary has his tools. And so this whole thing, in my opinion, is being played out today. The whole book of Revelation is, like you said, it's, a, it's our life story, but it's also history, history of the earth, relatable to me as a, a person. It's the story of the earth that's changing. Jesus is coming. We're going to have a feast. If you change with the earth, if you fill your life with lights and perfections, if you become what you, he, he wants us to become, then we will feast with him. If you won't, then you have to be cleansed. You're part of the group that has to be cleansed out of the earth. And so that's the question on the table is what do we need to do to be with Christ at that feast when we celebrate the change of the earth and the earth becomes full of lights and perfection? So we invite you all to come back. We're now going to tackle chapter by chapter, and we really don't know how long this is going to take, but we hope you enjoy the ride. So with that, we thank you for listening. If you like this video, be sure to subscribe. And if you haven't already, go check out our YouTube channel called Talking Scripture. On that channel, Bryce and I have been working on some new video content that we think that you'll enjoy. These new videos are in addition to the regular podcasts that Bryce and I do together and supplements to your Come Follow Me study. We're just trying to do what we can to spread light in an ever-darkening world. 
And so we hope you'll check out our new videos and we'll leave a link in the description. Once again, thanks for joining us and make it a great week. Talking Scripture is not an official production of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The opinions expressed in this podcast are Mike and Bryce's opinions only. We refer you to official church sources and the church website to clarify any doctrinal questions.